Please be opening your Bible with me to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Today I hope you will come to a greater appreciation of God's grace and how incredibly rich His love for each of us really is and at the same time how stubborn we often are and how we resist Him to our own detriment. How many of you recognize the actor Denzel Washington? He's pretty popular, won several awards, been in a lot of popular movies. Last year he gave the commencement address at a small college in New Orleans, Dillard University, and he told them to have four goals in life. The first goal was this, put God first. And this is what he actually said in his commencement address. He said, put God first in everything you do. Everything that I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. It's a gift. I didn't always stick with him, but he stuck with me. He went on to say, I pray that you put your slippers. Now listen to this. I pray that you put your slippers way under your bed tonight so that when you wake up in the morning, you have to get on your knees to reach them. And while you're down there, say thank you. And he went on to list all these things that he said they should thank God for, among them being grace. And all of us have so much to be thankful to the Lord for and need to put God first. That, that's great advice. That's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. That's what as Christians we claim we do. It's really, really good advice. But let's be honest. It's something that most human beings struggle to do. And it's something that each and every one of us in this room at different moments in our life struggle to do to really put God first, to get on our knees and say, you are Lord, you are King, you are Master. About three years ago, there was an episode of the television show Family Feud. Any of you remember Family Feud? Where they would ask a question to a hundred people and then put you know, the top answers and then families competed by guessing what the top answers were. So here's one of the questions, and I want you to tell me what you think the number one answer was, okay? Here's the question on that episode of Family Feud. When someone mentions the king, when someone mentions the king, to whom might he or she be referring? What do you think the number one answer was? Elvis. Here's the top four answers. Let's look at it. Elvis Presley, 81. God or Jesus, seven. MLK, three. And Burger King. I'm not sure that one would have come to my mind, but anyway. Now, how many of you had Elvis come to your mind immediately, just intuitively? Or maybe because of the opening story and we're in church on Sunday morning, Jesus. But if, this, if, if I were to ask you that on Monday afternoon, what would have been the first thing popped in your mind? Richard Petty, <laughs> a NASCAR fan, yeah. Hey, thank you for your honesty. LeBron James, <laughs> I mean, it, it depends on our worldview and what we're focused on, what, our, what we spend our energy, you know, about. But the truth is, putting God first, he being your king in more than just words, being the master of your life, the Lord, the, the boss of your life, of your thoughts, of your decisions, of your values, of your priorities, 
He being the king of your life, the Lord of your life, is the key to your life. The truth is all the alienation we feel as human beings originates from our struggle and the struggle of others to allow Jesus to be first. You think of all the people who feel alienation with their family, broken relationships. All the people who feel alienation at work, no purpose to what they do. People who feel alienation everywhere they look, they struggle to sleep. At the root of all of it is my choice and your choice and the choices of others to say, God, you're not first. Because when he's not first, we make decisions and we do things that create alienation, that create loneliness, that create emptiness, that create frustration, that create failure. All of it eventually can be traced back to refusal to allow God to be first. And and the truth is, what other people do affects me. And so when other people say God's not first, they do things that impacts the quality of my life. Is that not true? When other people do not put Christ first, they make decisions that impact the quality of your life. And when you don't put Christ first, you make decisions that impacts the quality of other people's lives. And it's equally true that when you make the, the choice to say in this moment, in this instance, Jesus is not first. He's not king. He's not Lord. In this instance, it affects the quality of your own life. All of the alienation, all of the pain, all of the struggles, all of the fears, all of the problems originate from humanity's struggle to allow God to be first, to be king in their life. And so I want to explain today the plan of salvation, but from the perspective of God being king and the impact it has on our lives. That's an image of how life is supposed to live. Now, that's not original to me. I got it from another ministry. But I want you to look at it for a moment, a simple stick drawing, a stick figure to illustrate life. God is king. He wears the crown. He's Lord over everything in the universe, including us. We live on this earth as masters of this earth, so to speak, but under the kingship of God. And what I'm going to illustrate today is that all of the struggles, all of the pain, all of the mess in life comes about because humanity wants to change that. Because in our own daily living, there are times we choose to live differently than that illustration. With our words, we might say, he's king, he's God, he's Lord, but we live as though that picture is not true. Now, why is that picture ultimately true? We'll look in Genesis in a moment, but look on the screen at Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, and the verses are also in your outline. The Bible says, worthy are you, talking about the Lord. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you did what? Created what? All things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. Did you create the universe? Did you create this earth? Did you create your body? Did you create the air you breathe? Did you create, what, what did you create? 
The Lord created all of it. And as such, he is the one who wears the crown. He is God. He is king. He is Lord. He is master. And we are always under him. But sometimes we act as though we're not. Look in the book of Genesis at chapter 1, the very beginning. We see it in the very nature of creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And then God said, let us make man, referring to the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. We have a unique relationship with God, different than any other part of creation has with God. But we're not God. We're distinct from God. He created us. Let us make, let us create. God created. God made us. He made you. He made me. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, behold, I have given you everything. Now, God said, as humanity, as human beings, as a man, as a woman, you have a unique place in this creation. You alone are created in my image. You alone have the freedom to choose a relationship with me. You're different. And you're also elevated because you rule over this earth. And we know that humanity rules this planet. But the biblical teaching is we do it under the authority of our king. That's the biblical picture. When when we live in that order, God is king. He wears the crown. I don't wear the crown. I don't wear the crown some of the time. He wears the crown all of the time. And everything that I have any authority over in this life, all of my resources, my moments, my hours, my days, my family, my career, my talents, my skills, everything that I enjoy in this created world was created by God and given to me, and I am a steward who manages it under his kingship. Every problem in my life, every problem in your life, every problem in this messed up world comes about because humanity says we want to wear the crown instead of allowing God to wear the crown. We get so pumped up with pride because of all he has given us. Have you ever seen a spoiled child? Have you ever seen someone given so many advantages it destroyed them? It caused them to be puffed up with pride thinking they were something they weren't and they made a mess of everything? That's us. That's humanity. That's me. That's you. All these beautiful gifts from God that are a part of this world that we rule over. But because we don't do it under his kingship, we make a mess of it. When we don't do it under his kingship, we do it our own way. And it doesn't work. That's when everything starts falling apart. I want you to notice what the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 3 verse 12 all have turned aside we've all walked away from that proper relationship with God 
and together they, us, have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. The Bible says that each and every one of us at points in our lives have turned away from the created order that God established when he made this universe and created humanity. Every time I sin against God, every time I disobey God, every time I resist God, that is exactly what I'm doing. I'm turning away. God, you're not wearing the crown. In this moment, I am wearing the crown. That's another image of what sin really is. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have done what? Sinned. Another way of saying turned aside. Wore the crown. Said, I'm king. I'm boss. I'm Lord. I'm master. God doesn't wear the crown. I do. That's what sin is. Doing what I want to do, the way I want to do it, when I want to do it. That's always what sin is. And one of the things we as Christians need to be careful of is this. We need to be careful that Jesus is not just our Savior. (laughs) Jesus is Savior and what? Lord. And too often, we who are Christians try to live the Christian life by giving Jesus a vote in our decisions. But we maintain veto power. Jesus as Lord does not get a vote. He's a dictator. He said yes and no, right and wrong. That's what wearing the crown gives him the right to be and do. Jesus in our lives as followers of Christ is more than someone who simply gets a vote, who simply gets to to give us his opinion, who simply gets to give us his advice. He wears the crown. We don't. But when we sin, when we turn aside, We take the crown. It's as though we take the crown literally off his head and place it on our own head. And that's an image of what sin is. That's an image that depicts fallen humanity. And and it's the reason there's all this alienation, all this pain, all this suffering, all this mess. It's man says he wants to wear the crown and he doesn't allow God to wear it. And you and I need to be careful that we don't do that in our own lives as followers, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The truth is humanity is in rebellion against God. There's a reason the Bible in the book of Romans and other places calls us enemies of God at times. That there's enmity between us and God. That reconciliation is needed between us and God. We've usurped his throne and sat on it ourselves. You remember from the Old Testament book when Lucifer, that bright angel, rebelled against God, led a revolt by other angels, and wanted to ascend to the highest of heavens. How often do we do the same thing when we say, God, I want the crown on my head when it comes to this one decision? I'm going to wear the crown at this season in my life. While I'm young, I'm going to wear the crown. And when I'm older, I've got time to be right with God. What's the difference? He's king. He's Lord. He's not an advisor. He's so much more than that. But the reality is God will not allow us to rebel forever. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, the Bible says it's appointed, it's determined that men will do what? Die. And after we die comes what? judgment every human being is going to experience the judgment of god 
I'm going to experience the judgment of God. You are going to experience the judgment of God. It's not something our culture likes to think about. And the reason our culture doesn't want to think about it, the reason this kind of teaching and preaching in Bible is unpopular in our culture is because man wants to constantly take the crown from the head of God and put it on their own head and say, God, you get a vote. God, you can give us some advice, but we're the king and we'll decide. But it's an illusion. It's an illusion. Because the only king, the true king, the one king, one day says, you will die. And after this comes the judgment. And you will not be answering to yourself on that day. You will be answering to me, the eternal king, the only one who's ever been truly king of the universe. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, physical death, spiritual death, separation from God because we've turned aside. God didn't leave us. We left him. Eternal death. We left God spiritually dead and we physically die. We spend eternity away from God. Our choice. And the Bible says it's the wages of our sin. It's the paycheck. It's what we've earned. It's not something God joyously gives us. We have worked for it. We've pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and put the crown on our head. And God said the natural consequence of that is death, physical death, spiritual death, and everlasting death. It's the wages. It's the paycheck for our sin. And that's what life looks like as a sinner. God's the king, but you're dead. You may be breathing and walking around on this planet, but you're dead. And you need God to give you life, new life, spiritual life. You're dead, and you're going to spend eternity dead in hell, separated from God and suffering. And you need God to rescue you. That's what salvation is, God rescuing you and giving you life. The Bible tells us in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Christ also died for sins once, one time, for all, for everyone, the just for the unjust. He was sinless. He was sinless. Jesus came to this earth as fully God and fully man. As fully man, he lived always under the kingship of his father. He lived as man was intended to live when God created humanity. He lived in absolute obedience, not sinning, not rebelling, not turning aside. He was pure. He was just. And as the just man, he died on the cross for unjust men and women, for me, for you, for us, for everyone. And in so doing, paid the penalty for our sins. Notice he did it so that he might bring us to God. Because we had turned aside. And here's Jesus comes, lives that sinless life and dies on that cross and reaches out to us with his loving, forgiving hands. And he says, I'm bringing you back. You've turned aside. You've walked away, but I'm pulling you back. I'm bringing you back. When you hear the truth of Jesus Christ, when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there's all that tugging going on inside your heart and soul. 
Jesus is pulling you back. When you feel miserable and convicted, Jesus is pulling you back. When you're conflicted and you know you've done wrong, Jesus is pulling you back. See, our world doesn't want us to deal with sin. Our world doesn't want us to deal with guilt. Our world doesn't want us to have any conviction of sin. Our world wants us to be okay and happy however we live. And the reason for that is Satan wants to keep you satisfied in your lostness and in your damnation and under the judgment of God. And God, like a loving parent, is trying to get your attention and say, I'm bringing you back. I'm bringing you back. Will you stop fighting me? He died on the cross, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He died to pay the penalty for my sin, to bear the punishment for my sin, to pay the debt for my sin. And he did that for you as well. So yes, Jesus came as the perfect man so that you and I could have life. Romans 8, 34 Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. He didn't stay dead. He's been raised from the dead. Now he's seated at the throne of heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this. Who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus who conquered death, conquered the grave conquered sin says I can resurrect you I can resurrect you spiritually I can give you life life with God new life a new heart a new make you a a new creation a a new person I can I can add meaning and purpose to your life I I can help you be the kind of person that has relationships that work I, I, I can help you find some joy in your career understanding that you're working for more than just to have nice things and clothes There's a higher purpose to what you do in life. I can can resurrect you to spiritual life. And then he says, I can resurrect you to eternal life. I can can resurrect you from that grave. I can resurrect you from eternal death. I can resurrect you from hell. I can resurrect you from the conscience of your your sins. If you'll stop turning aside and running from me, I can give you life if you just let me. If you just let me. And that's the way life looks in reality because Jesus is king over the world and all that is in it, including us. And when he comes again, he will judge the world and he will judge us. And now, brothers and sisters, you're faced with a, ch- with a choice. Every human being is faced with a choice. Choice of two ways to live. To continue turning aside, continue rejecting Jesus, and be the person on the left who, in a fantasy, lives with a crown on his own head, on her own head. And maybe occasionally invites Jesus' opinion but doesn't really give him the crown. I'm going to live life my way, on my own terms. The master, what is it? What's the point? The master of my own soul, my own destiny? 
you can choose to live life with you wearing the crowd and Jesus no more than an advisor. Jesus no more than a helper when you, when you get in trouble. Or you can choose to live life under the kingship of Jesus Christ. He wears the crown. And you're going all the way back to Genesis and the way God created this world is through Christ he's restoring what sin messed up. It says, I'm giving you an opportunity to live the way I intended from the very beginning with Jesus wearing the crown and you and me submitted to his kingship, to his rulership, to his lordship relying on his death and resurrection for our salvation and the result is forgiveness and eternal life. John chapter 3 verse 36. He who believes in the Son, what? Has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides in him. Now I want you to notice The first phrase is believes. The second phrase is obeys. He is Savior and Lord. I believe it in my head and in my heart. And my life demonstrates that it's more than just words. My life demonstrates that he's king. That he's Lord. If you have Christ... You have life. But if you do not have Jesus, if he is not your Savior and not your Lord, he's not your life, then you don't have life. And instead, the Bible says, and this is Jesus speaking in that verse, we live under, we abide under the wrath of God. 1 John chapter 5. God has given us eternal life. That's what Jesus purchased on the cross. He's given us eternal life. And this life is where? In his son. Same thing we saw in John chapter 3. It's in Jesus. He who has the son has life. If Jesus is in your life, as your savior, as your king, you have everlasting life. If he is not in your life, if you do not have the son, what? No life. See, eternal life is not something we earn. It's something that is given to us when Jesus comes into our lives as Savior and Lord. It's just like in Genesis 1 when God created the world and then said to man, you have the authority to rule over this earth under my kingship and I've given you all this stuff. When you have Christ, he brings with him life. It's something else he gives you, but it's under his lordship, under his kingship, under his saviorship, if you will. When you have Christ... You have life. And without Christ, there is no life. Now I want to ask you, which of those two pictures represents you this morning? If you had to honestly say, my life looks like, which one does your life more resemble? And the answer to that question 
tells you everything you need to know. And if you're on the left, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to continue on in life wearing the crown that belongs to God? Or are you going to surrender and submit and say, Here, Lord, I take it off and I give it to you because it's rightfully yours. And I acknowledge you in my life. You know, the distance between earth and the moon is 92 million miles. And if you were to take your bulletin and unfold it and just let it be one piece of paper, and imagine that your one sheet of paper you're holding in your hand represented that distance of 92 million miles between here and the moon. And then understood that the closest star to our planet is so far away that you would have to have a stack of bulletins 70 feet tall to illustrate it. And if one piece of paper represented 92 million miles to travel the diameter of our galaxy, you would need a stack of paper 310 miles tall. Do you think that a God who simply spoke and created all that is no more than an advisor in your life? Is none a God who spoke and created all that King, Lord, Master, as well as Savior and Friend and Forgiver of our sins? Yes, He is. When he created this world and put us as managers, as stewards over it, he did not give up his throne. And if you seek to live life as the master of your own destiny, you are in rebellion against God and trying to steal what you can never ultimately steal because doing so will ultimately put you in hell. It will kill you. It will ruin your life. Because he will always be the one who created this vast expanse of a universe. So I ask you, is Jesus your Savior? And equally important, is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? Will you take the crown off your head today and lay it at his feet and surrender everything to him? Let's stand to sing. Father, all of us who know you and love you sometimes struggle to leave the throne on your head because sometimes we want to reach up and take it off and put it on ours. 
But, Lord, I know there's people in this room right now who are really in rebellion against you, and you know who they are. They know who they are. And you're convicting them, and they're burdened. They're bothered by it. And I pray right now, Father, as we sing this song, that they would make their way to this altar and get on their knees before you and humbly submit, humbly surrender, and return the throne to its rightful place, the crown to its rightful place. Help them to stop fighting you, God, but surrender and feel the warmth and the freedom that comes with reconciliation, the peace of not battling you anymore. And I pray for those in this room, Father, who are lost, who've never surrendered to Christ, who've never allowed him to forgive their sins, who've never committed themselves. I pray that in this very moment, Father, they would come to one of these pastors and say, today is the day I'm receiving Christ as my Savior and my Lord. I know I'm lost and I'm in my sin, but I know Jesus will forgive me, and I'm coming to him right now. Help us, Father, and give us victory. In Jesus' name we pray.